Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Jose Ruiz, Director of HR for the London Edition and the W Leicester Square. Coming up on today's show... Jose and Phil deal in some mild peril. Oh, danger, danger. Indeed, danger, danger. Phil recalls a shocking event from early in his career. I opened the door to one of them kicking the other one up the backside. And Jose argues with himself over an inanimate object. Well, I left my house. Uh, With the luggage? Yeah, of course with the luggage. What do you think, I'm stupid? All that and so much more as Jose talks us through his story and journey to date, as well as some amazing content on coaching and leadership. In addition, Jose was a natural storyteller and shares some fantastic comedy moments from his career so far. A massive thank you to him for that. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your networks. Let's share these stories as far as we can. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next edition of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today we move into the world of humans, specifically HR, and I'm joined by someone who's worked in some of London's most iconic hotels, as well as a brief foray out of the industry in another marquee brand, which has now culminated in him taking on a multi-property role as Director of HR at the London Edition and the W in Leicester Square. So welcome to the show, Jose Ruiz. Hi Phil, how are you doing? I'm very well, how are you doing? I am very well too, very well, just wondering whether anyone is going to understand us today, you with your Scottish accent, me with my <laughs> Spanish one. That's a good point. Yeah, well, let's see what happens. Eh? That's, um, yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, let's just kick it straight off. Could you take us all the way back to the uh, the beginning of your career and how did you get into this industry? Yeah, well, this this goes back a, a fair while <laughs> i would wake up in the morning jump on my horse and you know just just ride to the nearest uh no just kidding uh, <laughs> I, I i i just knew that i wanted to work in hospitality pretty much all my career i i studied back home in spain hotel management and then at some point i had to do my my military service, which at the time it was compulsory, but I had seven months in between university and and the world of of uh, military service. Okay. So I just decided to come to to the UK. Uh, I had a, a family member living here, so it was easy. And I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to London for seven months, get myself a job as a waiter, learn English, and and that's what I did. Came here for seven months, work at the London Metropole Hotel. Now it's called the Hilton London Metropole Hotel. Yeah, um, beast. Yes, they just keep adding an extra word on it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I did that for, for seven months, then went back to Spain, spent one year in the military. And and then after that, effectively, I decided to come back to London because I had an amazing time. And... And yeah, I went back to the Metropole, uh, kept working there as a, as a waiter, then became a restaurant supervisor. Then I decided to move to front office uh, within the Metropole. I became a receptionist. Then from then, I went to work for a private members club, the Sloan Club, uh, where I was the front office manager. Well, I started yep. as a night manager, then the front office manager. Then I left and I did a very, very short stint that was a bit weird uh, at Pret-a-Manger. And then from then, I went to, I wanted to have my first role in HR, which 
which proved not the easiest thing. Then I got a lot of no's along the way uh, until ultimately I managed to get a role at the Moncom Hotel okay. uh, with Jonathan O'Ewing, who gave me the, the opportunity to to join as a duty manager uh, on the understanding that he would train me as a as an HR manager because the, their existing HR manager was leaving three to six months later. And he said, listen, come as a duty manager and uh, I will get Arlene to train you. If by the time she leaves, you are ready, I'll give you the job. So I did that for four months or five months. And then, yes, she left. She thought that I was ready. And I became the HR manager at the Moncom Hotel. Okay. Uh, and then from then on, just went to two different brands. I went to Park Plaza, Park Plaza Victoria. I was the HR manager. Then I went to Riverbank Park Plaza as HR manager. Then I became the learning and development manager for Park Plaza UK. Uh, and then I went back into single property at the Riverbank again. And then from then I moved to to Mayborn, where I was the HR manager and subsequent HR director for the Barclay Hotel. Yep. Then after the Barclay, I went to... Where did they go after the Barclay? I went to Shangri-La and I opened <laughs> Shangri-La Hotel. I was going to fill that in for you then, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that was uh, an interesting experience. And then uh, after opening the, the hotel in the Shard, I I spoke to, well, Apple called me. I think that they found my, my profile on LinkedIn uh, and they asked me if I would be interested in joining them, which I did. Uh, I stayed with them for a year and a half and then got the... Got, uh, again, the missing hospitality. And to be honest, I was not particularly enjoying my time at Apple. So I decided to to go back to, to hotels uh, to work with a GM that I've worked with twice before, uh, uh, Jürgen Amestofa. And then he introduced me to the world of edition and by extension to the world of, of Marriott, which is what I've been ever since. Uh, a couple of years ago, I got the opportunity to, to look after W London as well as the London edition. So that's my role at the moment, looking after HR in both properties. Yeah. So, well, it sounds like it's fair to say then that, uh, that hospitality is definitely in the blood because you, you had a, a stint out, but uh, it didn't connect with you for whatever reason um, and you found yourself back. Yes, that, that is right. That is right, I guess. They say that you can take a guy out of hospitality, but you cannot take hospitality out of a guy. Yeah, and that's you all over. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? I mean, I'm quite interested to understand how, I, I suppose, other than helping you realize that you wanted to be in hospitality, having seen a, a, a different sector in action, is there anything you took from that that now helps you be even better than you were before? Well, yeah, but I'm not so sure that it is necessarily because of other industry. Uh, I think that it's just because it was Apple. Uh, right. uh they said, well, they were there or where I was there, that, that Apple is retail, but uh, retail is not like Apple, that Apple is different. Uh, and they really are. They, they, a lot of the things that Apple do is based around the standards of service that they copied from Rich Carlton, uh, and then they tweak to make them Apple. Uh, and they, they're super obsessed with with the customer journey and with customer service and the way which they treat customers and I think that but they do it in a very specific way and and that for me was you know just spoke to me and have I taken anything from it back into hospitality yeah there are bits that I have tried to implement in the hotels that I'm in particularly around the way we develop people and the way we look at our identifying talent but to be honest that a lot of the stuff that, that they do they've 
basically taken them from hotels in the first place. Yeah. Is knowledge that perhaps have been lost a little bit in certain brands. Right. Got you. Okay. So, well, I mean, your your first stint in, I suppose, super luxury was, was at the Barclay. Yes. What do you think it kind of takes to, to be an exceptional HR person in that kind of environment? Because it's, uh, it's pretty high intensity and pretty, uh, you know, you've got to be on your game 100% of the time, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, you do. I mean, I think that that everyone that, that works in HR, certainly most hotels, goes with the intention of, of giving the 100%. I think that to a large extent, working in, in ultra deluxe hospitality uh, or luxury hospitality, number one is that you have more often than not more resources to do a stuff, whether they're human or, or financial or otherwise. Yeah. Uh, so when you are an HR manager or an HR director, as it is my case, you work with a larger team, therefore you can go deeper into certain aspects of HR. Therefore, you can spend more time doing engagement uh, and, and looking after the detail of, of developing your people, uh, developing leaders, uh, identifying future talent, uh, because you effectively have, have resources to be able to spend more of your time uh, doing that kind of stuff, time that otherwise in other companies that perhaps have smaller teams, you need to spend just basically doing HR admin, which is a, is a is something that just comes with the job. But when you have the resources that, that other people within your team can deal with that, then you can look at the strategic part and the and the developing the business forward part. Got you. And then um, and then from there you went to the shards. Now that was at its time certainly well, and I mean it's still a very high profile property, mm-hmm. but was one of the the highest profile openings that London's experienced in a in a fair few years. Mm-hmm. How well. Just talk us through the experience. I mean, that you set that up from scratch, I think. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It was uh, obviously that the shard was in the process of being built as I joined the company. We were working in a pre-opening office just around the corner. Uh, and it, it was an amazing experience, you know. And, and leaving the Barclay was was tough. Uh, but uh, it, it's something, an opportunity to join a company in such an iconic building. It was a brand that didn't exist in, in Europe, so certainly not in the UK. Uh, uh, so the opportunity of, of joining a brand that nobody knew about, that you would be able to, to bring to London in an iconic building, uh, introducing the culture uh, that is very different because it's very much an Asian culture uh, that runs through Shangri-La. And... Um, of course, an opening in itself is just a great challenge. Uh, yep. I thought that that was just incredible, and so it, it just it was tick tick tick. Every box of something from a learning perspective was great. From a building a culture was great. From a hiring and developing was great. Uh, so it, it was just an, an amazing experience. Came with massive challenges, mostly driven by the fact that that nobody in the UK had a hotel and a skyscraper. Yeah. Uh, so that came with, with great challenges and that, that led to delays in the opening of the hotel. So managing the HR function through delay after delay when you effectively have hired people and then you need to tell them, hey guys, we are delayed by three months or we simply do not know when you are going to be able to join us. And that, that, that was an interesting time. But I had an amazing team in HR uh, we're still very much in contact with each other and we put together a phenomenally good team for the opening of that hotel uh, and we go through it and we open successfully and the hotel has been doing phenomenally well ever since. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, I think it's one of those those buildings that if you're if you you're not living in and around London, even if you are, it's one of the the experience. It's an experience to go up there and and you know eat in the restaurants or or have afternoon tea or or whatever. Because where else do you get a view like that? Yeah, very much so. Which it was interesting because I remember on one of my first shifts as a duty manager uh, in the hotel, uh, the hotel just opened and. And it's things that you just didn't foresee that they were going to happen. Of course, in hindsight, you think, "Oh my God, how did we, how did we not expect this?" But you know, you arrive in the morning. People started going down for breakfast at six thirty in the morning on a Saturday, which in any other hotel is unheard of. Yeah. But here, of course, people wanted to see sunrise <laughs> from from the restaurant because it has the right. best views uh, while having breakfast. So, yeah. come seven o'clock, you had every single table in the restaurant full breakfast in full swing and more people coming when there was no place to sit them and and of course everyone went there for the special occasion and to treat their partners to to the amazing experience of of of, of staying in the shard uh and there they were coming down at seven o'clock being greeted with sorry there is no place in the restaurant to sit down yeah and some people did not take it very well so i think that at one point i was even threatened <laughs> By, wow. by, by a guest so right. that was challenging for sure and of course breakfast normally you know is in and out and you take a 20 minute for breakfast but that was like people would sit there for two hours <laughs> right yeah so that was yeah, well, the early lessons we're gonna cling on to this view for as long as we can absolutely and you can imagine that nobody wanted a table without a view <laughs> yeah well, to be honest, I have experience of that myself. I remember uh, treating my my good wife to uh, afternoon tea, the Asian afternoon tea, yeah. uh, in there for her birthday. Uh-huh. And uh, she's an afternoon tea goddess. She, it's one of her favourite things. And we we arrived in the restaurant, and it wasn't that busy at the time, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't give us a a, a a table by the the window. Right. We were sat inland, in inland. Listen to me. <laughs> Um, and um, my wife was uh, quite demanding, actually, and said, "No, it's my birthday. I want to sit by the window." Yep. Uh, and I, and to be fair, they they did accommodate us, you know. And it does change the experience incredibly just yeah. to have, you know, to be sat there and looking down at your at your desk and um, and looking to the horizon. For, yeah. You know, it's it's just, it's an incredible building. Yeah. Incredible. And you know, in 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 the shot, of course, you have views in on every side of the building. Uh, yeah. And level thirty four, which is was level thirty five, which is what the restaurant is, you could sit anywhere around and you will get a view. But of course, everybody wants the view of of London Bridge, and everyone yeah. wants the view of the city, which you could only get on on that side of the building. So even you said to somebody, "Oh, I'm gonna sit you there." No, no, I'm gonna sit in there. Which is, mm, okay, well, let's see how we can wear this one out. Yeah. So that was interesting times. And of course, at the beginning, it was the novelty of it, and it died down eventually. But the first few months were tough. Yeah. I'd, I'd imagine it's also a challenge when you've got reception desk on the ground floor in your hotel, not immediately connected to that. Yes, correct, correct. So, I mean, we learned a lot. We learned a lot from, from how to the flow of guests around the hotel, how did they get welcome on, on the ground floor when reception is on level 35 and and the fact that guests needed to use a lift to go up to the reception, but then they needed to go into another lift to go into the bedrooms. So it, it came with challenges, but it came with, with 
incredible opportunities to learn uh, yeah. and to flex your, your leadership style. Uh, and it certainly showed us how to be patient <laughs> because, right. yeah, it's not your average hotel. It really isn't. Yeah, but it, it, you know, there is nothing like that that exists within the, the London market, right? I mean, no, in still. terms of, so nobody had the playbook on, no, correct. on the best way to do things. Correct. You, you had to learn as you went. Yeah, yeah, very much so. It was yeah. fun. It was fun. Yeah, no, really I, I, I don't doubt it. Yeah, so it was from there then you went to, to Apple, had your, mm-hmm. your stint out. Uh, yeah. I actually remember not long after you'd come back into the the industry, you and I met at a networking event, and I have to say... Never at a networking event? No, no, never. you'd never... You'd, yeah, we never do that, right? And I, I hadn't seen you, I think, for maybe two or three years yeah. at that point. Yeah, and... You, I remember this very, very vividly. You greeted me like an old friend, as as I mm-hmm. would expect. But I also felt that you, there was also this sense of relief. Yeah. That you that you were back. Yeah. Where, where you should be. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's where I should be. Certainly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly was in a place that I shouldn't have been, even though I yeah. don't regret it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about networking. You founded something called Hotcat. Oh yes. Talk us, uh, talk us through that. Well, that was very similar to what you are doing with uh, with this podcast. So I was sitting at home one weekend with nothing to watch on television. This was pre-Netflix. Uh, right. And, God, there's so much now, isn't there? I know, right? And, and I was there <laughs> pondering about all the amazing people that I have met throughout my years in hospitality uh, and thinking... Uh, what a pity it was that, you know, you meet great people and then you lose touch because people move abroad or to a different city or to different hotels. And that got me thinking, you know, it is a pity that there isn't a platform, so to speak, that will bring all this knowledge and all these great people together. And as my mind started wandering in that direction, of course, I... I Facebook came into mind and the way I put it in my own head was it's a pity that there isn't the Facebook of hospitality and then me being the, the dreamer that I am sometimes I thought you know what okay maybe maybe I should just start that uh, and since I had a weekend ahead of me with not a lot to do I started researching online whether it was pos- even possible to do it. And I found this platform that allowed you to, it was like a white label uh, that I could create something. So I just started it over the weekend, uh, put it together, came up with the name that, that started many great conversations because people thought, Hot Cat, mm, sounds like a porn site. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, no, it is hotel and catering. And then, ah, okay, okay. <laughs> You probably would have got more members, actually. Uh, you probably, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I started just putting out to, to my contacts in industry. And, and and as you know, we we just became, uh, at the time, it was the only website of its kind. Uh, at its uh, at its peak, we, we had about 4,500 members on the site. Uh, we then launched the 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 events the networking events that would have happened very earlier on with the well we're meeting online let's just meet offline and then we can just go for a couple of beers and so we started the events that happen once a month and and people would just get together to to meet each other and converse and chat and, and network 
and yeah, and, and and that's what it became. We had the Facebook group, the LinkedIn group, and, and the website. And then, of course, it, it so happened that at the time I was offered the job at Apple. It was a new opportunity. I needed to give my, my 110% to the new role. So yeah. I stepped back a bit. Marcus, who was running it with me, and Ben also got new jobs themselves. So it just, it just kind of fizzled out, I suppose. Right. Any aspirations to, to rekindle? You know what? I've, I've thought about it many times. In fact, recently, I kind of started a little bit of a rebrand. The only thing with, with a hot cut and something of, 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 of that kind is that I, don't, I, I got the impression through hot cut that a lot of people in industry, they just have very busy lives. Uh, right. And much as it's meant to be like a two-way conversation, it is not a social network. And I was not interested in doing a social network. For that, you have Facebook. Yeah, uh, I think that it needed to be a professional network. And and I realized, so certainly my impression was that a lot of people are very passive consumers. You need to feed information to them constantly for them not to forget that you exist. Right. Uh, and people are very afraid, for some reason, of sharing their opinions online. Interesting. So they will tell you everything and spill the beans privately or in a networking event face-to-face. But putting things in writing, people are very afraid of, uh, for all right. kinds of different reasons. Do you know what that tells me? Tell me what? That tells me that um, the caliber of individual that, that works within hospitality uh, is have got their ethics in exactly the right place. Because let's face it, there's many other forums where people do not have a problem airing their opinions online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one way of looking at it for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that people are afraid of, of making themselves, or making a comment that their company may disagree with and getting themselves in trouble. Yeah, sure. I, I know that some people are just not confident on writing, so they don't want to make themselves look silly in front of a community. And so everyone has their own story. But it meant that, that it was very time consuming for, for Ben, Marcus, and myself just to, you know, to constantly have to come up with new content when we're also hanging on to full time jobs. So yeah. I think that the only way to, to reignite Hotcut would be having a a full group of people that will be happy to to partner with so that we can share the load yep. or effectively just to do it full-time and this become the full-time job, which I've considered a couple of times, but I've never taken the, the step. Right. Well, give me a shout if you ever feel like rekindling yeah. it and you need a, <laughs> a, an extra team member. I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, I, I actually remember the very first hot cat event that mm-hmm. you did offline yeah, yeah. Um, which was in a pub in soho as i recall oh gosh yes i think that it was at the time it was called oh my god what was the name of the pub edge i, I think it was i can't remember in soho square yeah it was multi-level yes pub. correct correct nice called five um, stories yeah and i i just remember thinking you know maybe even as little as a year later uh-huh how how big the events had become yeah yeah in terms of the the quantity of people that were there because i yeah. think that first event there was maybe 20 of us yes something like that yes and, probably yeah and then i remember you know the the caliber of the venues would get better no disrespect yeah, to, yeah. to the pub but you know you were really kind of you were showcasing hospitality's venues yeah as well as you know the networking opportunity yeah very much and that is something that we did on purpose and and 
for us, the easy thing to do would have been to partner with a pub or a restaurant or a hotel because ultimately we're bringing people to consume, right? And, yeah. to, and to host it in the same place every month would have made our life so much easier. I'm sure, yeah. But part of it was just the fun of, of showcasing different venues. And every time it was in a different venue, in a different part of London, we did restaurants, hotels, event venues. We even did the London Zoo. And... And Ketra.com became partners with us and they organize a massive one themselves uh, on our behalf once a year, the summer one. Uh, so we just had some cracking events. And, and I think that the largest one, we had about 150 to 200 people. Right, uh, yeah. So it, it was great fun. great fun. I certainly went along to some very busy events. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, well, I mean, I salute you for that. That was um, that was a, a really golden thing that, yeah. that you've produced at, uh, at a time where I think that it, it really the industry needed something like that it was like it was almost like a, a release yeah from day-to-day workloads etc uh, etc et yeah but, yeah uh, and I still I don't think that there is anything like it still even now that is probably 10 years later agree. still yeah nobody has tried to do anything like it there we go we're sowing the seeds again yeah well just you just don't know what that is maybe <laughs> because there is no no need for it I have no idea what do you think <laughs> yeah well I don't know you, you I think there's all well certainly at the moment maybe not it's probably not the best time to do uh, social networking face to face no probably not <laughs> but um, but I think maybe on the back of this there's going to be obviously we were talking before we turned the microphone on about the the, the situation that we're in and the fact that there'll be some rebalancing to happen yet yes. before we we reach a, a point where we can consider growth yeah again. Um, and I think on the back of that, there's going to be a, I think personally, there's going to be a kind of a, a way, a new wave of enthusiasm mm-hmm. to, towards the industry. And, and so I think maybe, maybe it is the, the right time to oh. rekindle it. Anyway, I'm, we're not writing business plans live yeah. on, the, on, a, on a podcast, but, but anyway, food for thought. Yes, indeed. Indeed. And sorry, I took you into that in far more depth than I intended, but there we are. You, the, you know, well, so let's take us to, to present day. Mm-hmm. You've got, this is your first multi-property role, I guess. Well, yeah, if you, if you exclude Apple, because when I was at Apple, I was looking after the Apple store in Regent Street and the one in Covent Garden. Right, okay. But yeah, yeah well, that, that, that doesn't count. That Very doesn't much, count. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, what differences do you have to have in your, your armory to look after I mean, two pretty iconic buildings in their own right. Yes. Um, what different differentiates a role like that to being a kind of standalone director of HR? Do you know, it's, it is, my role is very interesting because I, as you said, I work for two in two iconic locations, but I work for two very iconic brands. Uh, yeah, and even though they are both part of Marriott, uh, they are probably the, the outliers. Uh, when it comes to Mario 30 brands, because W and, and Edition are both uh, uh, lifestyle brands. Uh, yeah. They are both, uh, certainly in the, in the Marriott ecosystem, they, they are luxury lifestyle brands. So one would one could think, oh, well, you know, that must be very, very similar to hotels. They're both hotels. They're both lifestyle. They're both lifestyle. They're both in central London. They have the same number of rooms approximately. But honestly, the two brands could not be more different uh, if they try. 
the brand position is totally different, the atmosphere and the appeal is totally different, the clientele that or the guest segment that they go for is totally different, and the way the two hotels operate are very, very different. And that for me was the first thing I learned is that, you know, of course, by the time I went to W, I've been working with Edition for, for a couple of years. And, you know, you always think, well, you know, how different can it be, right? You can bring one thing to the other. But then I met the, the, the executive team at, at W and I got introduced to the brand, uh, you know, in depth. And, and I realized, okay, this is, this is not the same at all. Both brands are very unique. Uh, and their approach to everything is is very much on brand, and what works for one brand simply doesn't work in the other. Yeah, and that for me was to to be able to flex. At the moment, I spend you know half my week in one hotel and half my week on the other, and and if you like, it's like having two families. You don't go to one and speak to them about what you're doing with the other, <laughs> because they simply <laughs> don't want to hear it. They just yeah. want. They they are very passionate about edition. Is very passionate about edition. Double is very passionate about W, and and is so. It, it's just been able to go into each property, showing, demonstrating, and leading uh, that passion for that brand, uh, because we don't want to be. We are not one married. Married is thirty brands, and these two are probably the most distinctive of them all. So we want to make sure that they keep, they stay distinctive. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, for me that was that was fascinating to see and to be part of it. So yeah, that that is that for me has been a massive learning curve on how do you lead the HR function on two hotels that are so different and that there's very little in terms of crossover between one and the other. Yeah. Do you still then have is there is there like an an underlining Marriott way that runs through all the brands or do they give give each brand effectively the license to to pursue its own set of values and that sort of thing? Well, I, I, I'm not going to speak on behalf of Marriott because there are 30 brands and I only know two of them. Sure. But certainly from where I sit, both at Edition and W, there is little to no interference from Marriott. The brands are so distinctive that they really let us do what we think is best. There is a brand team for W. There is a brand team for for Edition. So, so far, they, they very much love us for what we do, what we deliver, and what we stand for. And the brands, you know, they, they work pretty separately from, from the rest of, of Marriott. Having said that, Marriott provides you phenomenal infrastructure and resources that we can use and we use what is suitable. We don't use what is not suitable and we tweak what is suitable but needs to be W-fied or edition-fied. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Yeah. So we're the best of both worlds, if you like. Yeah. And then I don't know, I, well, throw in the fact that you've kind of worked for, for classic luxury mm -hmm. and now lifestyle luxury. What are, as you see it, what are the main differences? Well, I think that traditional luxury has, has a big element about consistency of service, but from the point of view that there is perhaps one way to do things. And, right. and there is less room for deviating in certain standards, I'm not talking across the board, for, from the way we do things here. Whether in a lifestyle brand, there is perhaps more, but of course we have standards, but a standard can be delivered in many different ways, depending on who is delivering, who is it being delivered to, 
and there is a lot more bring your own personality to work and provided that you achieve these touch points with the customer, achieve them in any way you think is best so that it becomes perhaps more natural to you as the person delivering the service and therefore it may come across as more authentic. And there is even what I'm hearing myself saying that that, that, that that does not mean at all that, that a luxury, a traditional luxury hotel is not authentic, quite the opposite. But it's just a very different way of doing things in, in our approach to guests, in, in the way we communicate with guests in a, in a lifestyle hotel. Among other things, because the expectations of the guests in a lifestyle hotel are, in my experience, very different from the expectations in a luxury, traditional luxury property. Yeah. Uh, they are more open to to people, you know, engage with me, but talk to me as if I am your friend, as opposed to uh, I don't want to. So that that barrier, perhaps, or that line that differentiates the guest from the employee, I think that is it perhaps is a lot thinner when you're working in a lifestyle brand, and the guests like it that way. Uh, yeah. Incidentally, it makes it more difficult sometimes for some employees to know that the line still exists. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, we don't need to go into that. That's yeah, fine. no, we don't. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that in the building. Yes. Am I right in saying that you're also now uh, a professional coach? You've got uh, qualifications behind you. Yes, that's right. I, I Something that I wanted to do for my own development last year, not because I want to become a, a coach full-time and give up my work and become a coaching guru, but just because it, it is a skill that I think that is, is super important. It's, it's an area for my own development that I wanted to explore further. So, yeah, I, I did a, a great coaching qualification through through Barefoot Coaching. That's a little plug in there. Uh, yeah. That were incredible. Uh, and, yeah, I got my qualification last year. I can I can see how that would really aid you in your, your role as a, as a director of HR yeah. as well, though, because I, I'd imagine a massive part of your role is about coaching. You must... You know, your door must be getting knocked on constantly with people, you know, wanting to talk about X, Y, Z, uh, whether that's problems or ideas or or whatever. And to have, a, I suppose, a coaching approach to that, I could see would be a real benefit. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, generationally, I think that, I think that, and, and again, I may be making a sweeping generalization, but, but I have noticed a difference over the time that I have been working in hospitality, the different approach to, to leadership of people. I think that that the world has moved because we have because the younger generations have different needs. And where when when I was starting an industry, certainly back home in Spain, but even in the UK, there was less in terms of leadership and more in terms of management of people. And and the expectation it was that there was going to be very much of a top down approach. To running a company whether now if you look at organizations like google facebook apple a lot of it is just inspire your people to deliver the best work that they can deliver yeah but it is all about providing direction and inspiration and less about telling people what to do yeah and and i think that that for that you need co- you need coaches you don't need managers uh, yeah. And ultimately, you think about it. If, if you got when you go out to recruit, you're trying to recruit great people. If you recruit great people, then what's the point of putting them in a straight jacket? You might as well just let them do the things that you hire them for in the first place. Yeah. And I think that that is where coaching comes in. That it, it is about guiding more than advising. It is about understanding more than telling people what to do. 
and and then letting people do what they do, but just helping with the thinking that they need to do to come up to to the decisions that need to be made. I don't know if yeah. that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah, and I think it probably works at every single level of the business. Yeah, as well. So it's not just about you know a young team member who's maybe just joined and doesn't feel like they've fully connected with the business yet and maybe they just need a bit of help and guidance to, to do that. A hundred percent. It's also about, you know, the, the senior executive team member who maybe had a, a, a management style that worked in an old environment but doesn't work in this environment and it's about helping them and guiding them and coaching them to become, you know, I, I suppose better at the coaching and guiding themselves. Yes, very true. Very true. And you know what? We work in an industry that that the age group of people working in in our industry by 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 the nature of the industry that you that, that we work in are very, very young. Yeah. Uh, which incidentally means that a lot of them are very inexperienced. For many this is the first job and people are used to some coming straight out of a school or university or college asking the more senior people, what do I do? I have this problem. What what do you want me to do? What do I do? Because they're expecting me to tell them what to do, and and it would be very easy for me to tell people, "Oh, this is what you need to do," and that is it. But that doesn't really help people develop their own critical thinking and their own ability to problem solve. I think that it is a lot more useful to encourage people to think for themselves. And you know, one thing about our industry, we're not brain surgeons. Nobody's gonna die because we make a decision, and the decision happens to be wrong. So, you know, let people make their own mistakes and guide them. When people come to you and ask, I have this problem, what do I do? Dog them through and help them come up with their decision as opposed to just doing what you tell them to. Yeah. Uh, and that is a skill, uh, which, you know, some people don't realize how much, of, how much of a skill that is. And like any skill, you need to practice and develop in order to get good at it. And I think that yeah. is a lifelong journey, right? I don't think that I, I'm certainly nowhere near perfection when it comes to my coaching skills but it has opened my eyes to how important it is to we talk about developing people but developing people is about asking them to come up with solutions and not giving them the solution yeah absolutely and i think as well the point you made there about journey is is so relevant because it's a proper evolution you know you what's the i suppose the the next generation workforce want right now in 10 years time that's going to be different again. Yeah, you know, you've got to adapt your style. You can't ask a generation to change yeah. and fit. You know, we've we've both got to come to the party and yeah, you know, and that that's the same of them as well. It's about meeting in the middle and you're know, taking the the best from generations that have passed and bringing the best of the generations to come. Yeah, yeah, very true. That's very deep, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. I was thinking yeah. that. <laughs> I can't honestly. I cannot get through. One I thought of these that this was going to be. <laughs> I thought it was going to be light-hearted. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, it's supposed to be, right? But, the, uh, but you know, these are these are relevant points to to our industry. Yeah, so I'm I'm happy to to uh, discuss. But uh, yeah, I, I genuinely cannot get through a podcast without going into some kind of cliche deep moment. But yeah. um, but anyway, it's all relevant. Yeah, quite. quite. So. You've, you've had an illustrious career so far, and I'm sure there's more to come yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope so. Mm-hmm. What, uh, give me some examples of, of some funny stories from your career. Oh, funny stories. Let me think. Okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you one. And of course, the, the, the hotel where this happens shall remain nameless. Uh, That's fine. 
Uh, I'll start my research. <laughs> uh, but I remember, and I remember as if it was yesterday, I was at reception and the phone rang and there was this this guest calling down and and so I just answered the phone and said, reception, good evening, how can I help? And this person said to me, I cannot get out of my room. Uh, and okay. So, well, that was exactly, that's exactly how I thought about it and how I said, I said okay, <laughs> <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> So, oh, what, what is it? Is it that the, the door in your room is locked? And the, the person just said to me, no, I, can't, I cannot find the door. Okay. <laughs> at that point, I'm just looking up, thinking there must be a hidden camera somewhere and I must be on candid camera or something. Yeah. So you try not to laugh and, and you are very professional and tell the guest, okay, what do you mean that you cannot find the door? And the guests start getting very annoyed with me. So, well, I just said it. I cannot find the door. And I go, okay, madam, there are two doors in your bedroom, right? Yes, I know that. I said, well, one is the door to the bathroom. Yes. Yes, and the person is getting very annoyed with me. Uh, yes, I know that the one is the door to the bathroom. I said, well, the other door is the door that you came in through, right? Yes, yes. Well, that is the door. Is it double Take locked? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that, is that door double locked? No, but I cannot use that door. Uh, okay. What do you mean that you cannot use that door? And then the person answered, I cannot use that door because there is a do not disturb sign on it. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, way. As, oh, my God. The person generally thought that because there was a do not disturb sign that could not use that door again to get out. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. There's so many of these things that happen from Bless Them. We need, we need every one of them, yeah. the, the guests. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have all manner of stories of, of a kind of similar ilk whereby, you, you know, you find... I had uh, I, the first part of my career I spent on cruise ships. Uh-huh. And um, there was one time I was night manager and I was alerted to the fact that there was a fight going on in a cabin. Right. And... Um, uh, it was P&O Cruises that I uh, I worked for, and they used to do this thing whereby they had a a kind of a it was a, the entry level cabin that you could get mm-hmm. was what they called a friendly four, and I use friendly in inverted commas. It basically, it was four single berths, and individual people were allocated one of these single berths. So basically, you would go there on as a single person and be allocated to to live with three other people that you've never met before in your life. Right. You can see how that's a license to be to, to absolute perfection. Yeah. Um, and went along to this friendly four cabin, and there was uh, literally there was three. Six, there was actually only three people in this cabin. They they were all over the age of seventy, and I opened the door to one of them kicking the other one up the backside. What? Yeah, and. Um, and I remember just thinking I was 22 years old at the time. Right. And I literally just stood there and I said, right, gentlemen, you're about to get a lecture from a 22-year-old person. <laughs> How does that make you feel? And literally disarmed the, the situation at the moment. And I think they just got caught up in their own little space. But it's <laughs> it's there's so many examples of these from everybody's career, I think, yeah. whereby this is just life, right? Yeah, this yeah, this very happens. Much. Very much. And you can't really, we can all laugh and giggle about it now, but you can't really, you know, kind of hold 
too much of a, a grudge against these people for just kind of... No, but that, that is one thing that I have learned after working in this industry is that, you know, what I take for granted comes from my life experience and not everyone has had my life experience. Some yeah. people come to a hotel and it's the first time in their lives that they've been able to afford or, or, or just they have never been to a hotel. So, yeah, I know that there is a do not disturb sign that hangs inside the door, but if you've never seen it, you never had that in your life experience, what would you know? Yeah. I no, mean, I think that's, that's a bit extreme, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway. but let's not go there. But, you know, I, I'll give you another example. And this was, again, on the same hotel and it just one of those that made you think, mm, okay, yeah, when God yeah, yeah. gave brain cells, they didn't distribute them evenly. Uh, <laughs> this, this, We had this massive group coming through a, an American travel agent. Uh, we had them regularly come into the hotel. Anyway, this massive group arrives, and of course, the whole porter team goes to pick up the luggage from their buses and take them up to the rooms and get them all settled in. We check them all in. Perfect. About an hour later, I receive a call from one of them saying that the luggage uh, has not been delivered yet. So I'm like, oh, okay, okay, well, no problem. Let me just check with the with the luggage team. So I spoke to the porters and they said, no, 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 we've delivered all the luggage. So I said, oh, maybe by the time I come to see you, it has been delivered, so let me call the guest. So I called the guest and I said, oh, I'm, I'm just being told that, the, that all the luggage has been delivered. Do you have it now? And the guest says, no, I don't. Oh, okay, that is when the alarm bells start ringing in your head. Yeah. So you call the luggage master and the luggage master says, all of it has been delivered. I have all the receipts, so there is nothing left to deliver. Okay, okay. Call the guest again. The guest says, no, I still don't have my luggage. So at that point, you call security. Security start looking for the luggage in all the luggage storage areas. Nothing is found. And they say, okay, let me go and speak to the guest. So they call the guest. The guest comes down to reception and security is there asking the guest what the luggage look like and how many bags and so on. So give a full description. Everyone in the hotel at this point is looking for the luggage. And it's it occurs to the security manager to ask the guest, when was the last time you saw your luggage? And the guest says, uh, when I left my house in Texas. Oh. So like, uh, okay, no, no, no. Let me repeat the question. When was the last time you saw your luggage in the UK? No, I have never, I've not seen my luggage in the UK. <laughs> Well, okay, well, well, okay, hang on a second. You arrived at Heathrow this morning. The luggage was taken out on this uh, conveyor belt. So when you pick up the luggage, no, I didn't pick up my luggage. <laughs> <laughs> so you're thinking again that you're in candid camera thinking, what's happening here? So, so, no, so you're talking really slowly to see this person is obviously not understanding. So, so, so talk me through. You left your house in Texas yesterday. What happened? Well, I left my house. Uh, with the luggage? Yeah, of course with the luggage. What do you think? I'm stupid? Okay, <laughs> well, so what well. did you do? So I left the house. Did you go to the airport in Texas? Did you get a taxi to the airport? So no, 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 no. We got picked up. Okay, so you got your luggage. You put it in the car to pick you up. No. Okay, so basically the guest left their house, put the bags at their front door, got in the car without the luggage, went to the airport, got on a plane, and arrived in London. So when we get that clear, we ask the guest, so if you didn't bring your luggage to the airport in America, how do you expect the luggage to be in London? <laughs> and then he deadpan faced, he says, well, our true operator told us when we paid for this trip that portrait was included in the price. 
<laughs> and this gentleman genuinely thought that a porter from a hotel in London was gonna fly to the States to pick up the luggage from his at his doorstep and bring it to London. And he genuinely thought that that's the way it worked. My word. <laughs> but you nearly left me speechless with that. It was a long period of silence through that story where literally my mouth was open. Yeah, that's one of those that you think, I, I think I've seen everything now. Yeah, but well, but you won't have. No, I, I didn't. There'll be more. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. No, that's great. Have you ever had any uh, experiences of your own, well, your own experience where um, where you felt completely out of your depth and terrified about what might happen? Oh, yes. Yes, I have. Uh, just, just the ones I told this story to so many times. I, uh, this is, I was a, a restaurant supervisor uh, and we had this party coming to the restaurant for dinner one night and there was the, the head of the table was a Spanish guy. So, of course, me being a Spanish, they said, Jose, do you mind, uh, instead of supervising the restaurant tonight, to supervise that section so that he can deal with you? Sure. So I sit down, and it was 11 guests, 10 plus the host, and I'm just chatting away with the host, and dinner starts, and then I say, what would you like to drink? And the guest is looking at the at the wine list, and so uh, can we have a bottle of this Marquis of Riscal wine? Uh, just bring a few bottles for the table. Okay, okay, sure. So I bring bottles of Marquis of Riscal, serve them. They love it. And, and as, I, as the dinner continues, they keep ordering more and more bottles of this wine. So eventually we run out. And then he asks for the next bottle. And I'm like, oh, shit, what do we do? Uh, yeah. Because he only wanted to drink that for some reason. So I called the restaurant at the top of the hotel, which was at the time was called Aspects, uh, and they had the reputation of having every wine, and the sommelier answers the phone, and I explained the situation, and, and he said, well, we don't have any of that wine ourselves, but tell you what, and the sommelier tells me, give them this other wine that you have in your cellar. It is also a very similar wine uh, from a vineyard that is next to the, the one where that one came from, Pull the wine on the other bottle, the ones that you've already used, and they will not know the difference. Oh, danger, danger. Indeed, danger, danger. But at the time, me being naive and me being very innocent, I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to do that. So I, I approached the table with the bottle opened and put it in front of the guest. He looks at the label and said, yeah, that's fine. So I pour a bit on his glass so that he can taste it. He just tastes the wine and immediately looks at me and says, yeah, very nice wine, but that is not Marquis of Riscal. At that point, you think, exactly, at that point, I think, oh, shit. So what do you do? The next best thing, you just point your finger at the label and say, well, it's Marquis of Riscal. It says here on the label. And the guest very assertively... Keep digging, says, keep digging. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the guest very assertively says, no, I know, I know that that's a bottle of Marquis of Riscal and I know that it says that on the label, but that one is not Marquis of Riscal. At that point, I'm thinking, okay, well, this was not my idea, so I'm going to call the sommelier that gave me this suggestion and he can get out of this one. So I call the sommelier, he comes down, speaks to the guest and the guest, and he's trying to convince the guest that that one is Marquis of Riscal instead of coming clean. And after spending 10 minutes trying to convince the head of the party that the one was Marquis of Riscal, the guest looks at him and says, listen, my friend, I didn't want to embarrass you because you're the sommelier. I didn't want to embarrass you in front of all my guests. But I tell you that that one is not Marquis of Riscal. 
And I know that because I am the Marquis of Riscal. Oh, God, I didn't <laughs> see if, that coming. And if there is one thing in this life that I'm sure about is my wine. <laughs> well, that's fair enough, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. At that point, I'm hiding behind the service stations. Like, okay, I have nothing to do with this. Yeah. Oh, fortunately, he then he came clean. Unfortunately, he saw the funny side because otherwise it would have been a disaster. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was. Uh, I, I felt really stupid, and never again. That was a life lesson. Never try to pull one of those with any guests because you simply do not know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose that you're right in saying it's a lesson, right? I mean, you can't help but have these moments, especially in, in young naivety. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. You know, you you definitely will never do that again, right? Never, never. You you just simply do not know who the guest in front of you is, and just be honest. Always do your best. And this is bad news that needs to be delivered to the guest. I we don't have that one. We run out, but I can offer you something else. That's the way you go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, brilliant. That those are well, some cracking stories there. I'm sure we could probably just chew the fat over that for, for <laughs> seven hours over a glass of Marquis uh, de Riscal. Uh, yes, indeed. Which I've just mispronounced completely. Probably. No, no, but, you've done um, pretty well. You've done pretty okay. well. Great stuff. Okay. Well, what's? Uh, I mean, it's been a funny old year, but what? What does the the next year have in store for you? Well, all going well. All. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All going well. I, I don't know. It's it's. I'm fortunate that I work for for two great brands, and I'm fortunate that the two brands that I work for, I'm very passionate about both, and both of them are the fastest growing brands in the whole of Marriott. Right. Uh, w has 40 hotels on pipeline. Edition wow. at the moment has 10 that have been built in the process of opening. We're opening two in the next in the next few months. So the growth within those two brands alone is huge. Yeah. So let's hope that I can progress within Edition and W and grow my role. Even though, to be honest, I'm not that fast about growing and becoming a master of the universe. Uh, for yeah. me, it's more important to do something that I'm having fun doing. And at the moment, I'm having the time of my life working with these two brands and with two phenomenally good teams on each one of the hotels. So yeah. whatever comes, well, comes. Great philosophy, that. I, um, I like que sera, sera. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Probably a song in there somewhere. Yes, quite. Yeah, great. Okay, so what would you say to somebody who was considering a a career in hospitality? Well, I I say this to a lot of people that are considering a career in hospitality, students and staff. And you know what I would say to them is, hospitality is all about the craft. Don't be too obsessed about the money. Don't be too too obsessed about becoming a manager next year. Hospitality is a great career that you can go as far as you want to just through through working well and working hard. Uh, yeah. and, and it is also an industry that by its very, very nature is an industry that you can have phenomenal amount of fun doing it. Yeah. Uh, so my suggestion and it what has driven my career is have fun with it. Don't be too obsessed about what comes next year or the year after in 10 years' time. Just enjoy the moment because you're going to meet amazing people. You're going to have opportunities to explore things that other industries you simply don't have the opportunity. Uh, focusing on having fun on what you do today. Uh, and what happens tomorrow will come. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome. And uh, and from one dreamer to another, mm. I, uh, I completely agree. 
Yeah, I think that it's too many people, particularly too many people that I speak to at university and I understand the reason why. Financially, they've spent thousands of pounds getting them through university uh, and they want to see a return on investment financially very quickly. And sometimes too many people forget to enjoy the moment. Yeah. Because they're too concerned about the future. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, amazing learning that takes place in the moment yes. without you know, concerning yourself about where you're going to be in the, the next year. Just concern yeah. yourself with with getting the learning under your skin. Yes. It will make you a much better leader, a much better human being. Correct. Uh, uh, as you as you kind of go down. Yeah, and incidentally, if you're enjoying it, you're going to do a great job, and it's doing a great job where it's going to get you <laughs> to move up. Yeah, uh, who'd have thought that, eh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Okay, well, if if people want to get a hold of you to to learn more about you or the the brands that you work for, what's the best method for them to do that? They can call my agent. Oh, uh, you have one. <laughs> no, they can go on yeah. LinkedIn. Probably the best way is just to connect with me via LinkedIn, my LinkedIn profile, and then they can message me there. Brilliant. Yeah, and I have to say, my my experience of uh, of dealing with you is is that you're you're always open to having discussions with anyone. Yeah, totally. Um, in the right way. I mean, yeah, not yeah. anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll keep it relevant to the uh, the industry. True, true. Good stuff. Well, look, Jose, it's been a real pleasure to, to chat with you today. I really appreciate you making time to do this. No problem. Thank you for inviting me. And great to reconnect, huh? Has been a while. Yeah, absolutely. When when the dust settles, we'll uh, we'll have to have a, a coffee in one of your two amazing hotels. Excellent. Let's do it in the evening and then we can have a beer instead. Done. Or so, a glass of Macchio Riscal, huh? Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's complete the story. Good man. All Great. right. Take care, Jose. You take care, Phil. Bye-bye. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Bye. And there we have it. What a brilliant career Jose has built for himself so far, and he's a true hospitality champion. The big takeaway being that it's massively important to enjoy what you do, something we're hugely passionate about. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week, so hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share where you can. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.